What is good, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamental Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, and we're coming to you from a special, special place today. But before I get into that, I'd like to shout out our sponsor, Charlie Hustle. They've been with us from the jump. If you don't know, go to charliehustle.com to learn more about all of their fine attire and duds. And if you don't have a Charlie Hustle shirt, I'm going to need you to go to fundamism.com ASAP to swoop up your very own Fundamism Charlie Hustle collabo shirt, the What's Good shirt. Stop with the mundane conversations about work, weather, and family, and create a more memorable interaction by focusing on what's good. So, speaking of what's good, I had the opportunity to meet this gentleman uh, almost uh, well over a year ago, actually, and I've been trying to get you on my podcast, and uh, I'm going to be honest, I dropped the ball. I'm, Uh-oh. I, I'm, not, I'm not very uh, strategic. I'm not very good with my calendar, <laughs> but Dr. Dredd, Scott, things happen as and when they should, and you are here today, my friend. What's good? Uh, it's all good, Paul. Right. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here, man. Love the energy. Thank and you. Uh, while this was a long time coming, I am honored to be here and grateful to spend some time with you. For sure. Yeah. Well, that means a lot to me. And uh, specifically, you mean a lot to me in that uh, growing up, I had a father that was present. But just because he was physically present doesn't mean that we're always mentally present, right? And so as a result, what ended up happening in my life is I gravitated more towards individuals that were strong male characters, that had strong leadership attributes, that I felt like if indeed I, I, I watched and I was deliberate about what I was getting from this interaction, then maybe just maybe I could grow. And I know that you uh, are that individual for a lot of people in Kansas City, which mm. is why I want to have you on the podcast today. But before we get there, my friend... Got to start. We're consistent. It's the same thing we ask every single guest. What do you do for fun? Yeah, I, I do a lot. Uh, I'm family-oriented, and so um, the most fun I have is watching my kids, uh, especially when it comes to athletics. Uh, I've got a, a 17-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter. Both of them are very active in, in all sports, and so uh, I love sitting back in the stands and watching them go. Um, so that's more on a kind of family-oriented For sure. uh, perspective. So I'm not going to let you skate away. Okay, so you got okay. 17 and 13, yeah, yeah. right? What mm-hmm. do they play? Um, so my son, Quincy, uh, he plays just about everything. So okay. he's a football player, basketball, and he runs track. And for many, many years, up through about eighth grade, he played competitive baseball as well. Wow. He just couldn't carry all four into high school. For sure. Um, I think if you were to talk to him today, basketball would be his number one love. But honestly, um, baseball is what I love to see him play the most. And there are just so many lessons that he learned. I literally watched him mature out on the baseball field, just with all of the lessons around. I mean, baseball is a game built on failure. For sure. Right? Right. And so um, as a 12, 13-year-old adolescent, learning some of those lessons and um, now being able to talk to him about that and applying it uh, to overall life lessons uh, was very enjoyable for, for me. For sure. And well, interestingly enough about that, so we have a mutual friend, uh, Mr. Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues yes, Museum. absolutely. He was on the podcast, and he actually taught me a lot of life lessons through the story of baseball, <laughs> yeah. and obviously Mr. Buck O'Neill, just a phenomenal story. And I know that you guys talk quite a bit and are we do. relatively decent friends. Is that an accurate statement? That is an accurate statement. You can't <laughs> Can't go wrong talking to Bob Kendrick. You're going to learn something. He's just action-packed <laughs> with all of those stories. And he's a great example of a guy being in the right position at the right time. For sure. Uh, you couldn't, couldn't find a better leader of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I love that gentleman. And uh, so we got Quincy, 17. He's yeah. doing the thing. Speaking of which, uh, Deprice, uh-huh. uh, she's amazing. This is the third time that I now have met her. I met her at the Youth of the Year. Yeah. Uh, I met her at the Home Run Derby mm-hmm. uh, that we referenced before the podcast. And now here... And uh, she is absolutely amazing. I walked by the basketball court, and I said, she said, what can I get you? I said, well, you can give me a basketball so I can go down there and humble some of these kids. And she says, oh, you're a hooper, huh? And I said, well, I used to be, but at 38, 39 years old, it's not the same anymore. So I'm sure Quincy would run circles around me. Hey, I, you know, he's he's quite a gifted athlete, for <laughs> sure. He's just one of those kids that's naturally talented. So let's make sure everybody knows who Deprice is. Deprice is the unit director Thank you. Uh, of the club that we're sitting in right now, our Thornberry unit, located on 43rd and Cleveland. Uh, This really is our flagship club, and Deprice is 
one of our best um, overall staff members. She has a heart for kids, has a heart for program quality, and she is definitely a hooper. She's a, a really? former, yeah, yeah, she played for Pitt State. Oh, I did not uh, yeah, know that. she was quite a ball player for Pitt State. Uh, I'm going to say early 2000s. Sure. Um, I, uh, I may be a little bit off of my dates, but yeah, she was a hooper in her day as well. Well, she is. Uh, she has an affection like you for continued learning. Mm-hmm. And so when she heard that you know I was a writer, she was like, oh, I don't have anything going on over on for break, so I got to get that book. And yeah. she started asking me about all these, these speakers that I've seen before. And uh, I could tell that she really has a knack for individuals that are out there and motivating people. And and I think showering people with love and potentially bestowing upon them wisdom on how to move them forward in life. And yeah. whenever you could find people like that, especially to run your programs, you're you're doing the dang thing because that's super important, obviously. Yeah, thanks to the priest, this club is just rocking on all cylinders. And For sure. kids are rushing through the doors and having a great overall club experience. So, Well, I'm here now and I feel it. So. Yeah, good. All right, I don't want to forget my daughter. No, I know. She listens to this. <laughs> she's going to take me out if I don't mention her. So uh, my 13-year-old, Kayla... Um, she is, um, she plays volleyball, plays basketball. She runs track as well. Now her number one sport would be probably volleyball. Um, uh, both my kids get, uh, their height from me. I'm six, four. And, uh, so Kayla is relatively tall for her age. Uh, I think she's around the five, nine, five, ten uh, range right now. And so she's getting comfortable playing at the net, you know, learning For how sure. to block and kill shots and all of that. I uh, had a coming off a tremendous uh, club season and school season as well. So it's fun to to watch her grow. Now, I'm a former educator, grades and school. All of that is important to me. So uh, for those listening, I mean, that's just a that's an automatic sure. uh, for me. But uh, when it comes to seeing those the, my kiddos out there and uh, seeing them have the opportunities that I didn't have growing up. Uh, it just makes me so proud. For sure. Yeah. And uh, and it shows, obviously, when you're talking about them. So, you know, the, one of the things that I find is in these, in these mundane conversations that we have about work, weather, and family, I'm not saying that you should stay away or stay clear of those topics because oftentimes those topics can give us strength, sure. right? Um, perfect example, your beautiful daughter and son, they give you strength. You, you think about going out there and celebrating their success on the court or whatever it may be, and you have those shared moments. You and I both know that we don't always have the opportunity to work with kids so blessed or individuals so blessed in the workplace. And so sometimes these innocent discussions that we have about family could potentially bring up some some negative headspace, some negative memories, right? And so I often like to dig a little bit deeper in um, what do you do for fun? And here's why. Because God forbid your children go away to school and now all of a sudden you can't go to one of their games to give you strength in that moment mm-hmm. because maybe it is at Pittsburgh and it's too far of a drive or I know that's not very far of a drive, <laughs> but let's say Pittsburgh, PA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately you can't, you can't readily access that right now. So what else do you do for fun when it's not dependent upon other people? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a bit of a, a homebody, believe okay, it or not. Sure. And uh, I think, Paul, for me, I'm naturally more introverted. Um, people that know me and uh, meet me, they just assume that, you know, hey, this is a great guy and, you know, that I get my energy from interactions, which I, you know, I enjoy. Sure. But, you know, when I'm at home and I need to recharge the batteries, I do more kind of things that are internal or kind of individual to kind of get me uh, centered and, sure. and get that headspace that you referred to in the in the right space. Uh, so I'll I'll do things like I've really gotten into, and I'm not just saying this <laughs> into podcasts for real, um, absolutely. And so um, I'm I'm one of those guys that like the. Um, Kind of the murder mystery. I love kind those of too. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, there's not a day that that goes by that I don't listen to like a, a 48 hours sure. or a 2020 or one of the the many kind of um, podcast series that yes. have, that have come out there. I just. Uh, Listened to one not too long ago called Doctor Death. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with I, that I've, one, but I, I've heard of it, but oh, I haven't tuned in. Hey, you've got to you've got to listen I'm to that in. one. It's a good. I heard Dateline's got they yeah. all they dropped oh, yeah. all of those on oh, yeah. there. Oh the yeah, house. cold case files, yes. all of that stuff. So I think we're pretty dark, man. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, but see, and here's the thing: I always put this disclaimer out there when I tell people that because you get a kind of a, a funny look. Sure. Even my wife, will, why are you always listening or watching those things? For sure, it's not necessarily about the the 
the murder or the crime itself. It's more a um, kind of a mental exercise in trying to figure out yes, what happened. Who done it? That's the thing yes. that, that kind of gets me going. There. I love so, it. Yeah, yeah. So for me to spend you know forty five minutes or an hour just kind of digging deep into that. Uh, that helps me kind of decompress and um, helps me recenter. So, For sure, yeah, I admire that a great deal. I, uh, <laughs> do you remember when on Netflix that Making a Murderer came out yes. with Stephen Avery? Yes, I've watched it, and that was. And so, what's your take? I mean, I know now that <laughs> you know. I, I think it depends on where you are in that season. I mm-hmm. hope we're I hope we're not ruining this for anybody. I've been but, out for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So early on, I'm thinking there's no way that he did it. For sure. But then towards the end, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, did, he it. did it. He did it. Yeah. So that's where I am right now. Yeah. What's unfortunate about that is, um, to your point, there's so many layers, uh, you know, in terms of the whodunit and the story behind it. For me, it's like a puzzle. Yeah. Um, a lot like uh, that of meeting individuals. Hmm. And so figuring out what makes them tick. And um, we're all different. We all have different styles. And so you are a self-proclaimed introvert mm-hmm. who garners strength from other people. Mm-hmm. Probably not news to you that I am the opposite. I'm the opposite, right? No. <laughs> I got a lot of that. And and if I was this all the time, yeah. that would be overwhelming for a lot of people. Uh-huh. It would turn a lot of people off. But but figuring out the puzzle of, all right, well, well, what makes Dr. Scott tick? Like mm-hmm. what resonates most with him? Because if I come up with him and I'm just loud and obnoxious and and the energy's you know at a hundred, then I may potentially ruin a good thing. Mm. And so if I could find an entry point at something that could potentially connect with you, then maybe just maybe we might find that we have a lot more in common than we ever thought. And that to me is the murder mystery. That's yeah. the puzzle of of real life interactions. So I admire that a great deal. Now you've had a long journey. You mentioned that you were uh, a former educator mm-hmm. and you still are. Still are. Right? Yeah. Still am. I but, uh, but in that <laughs> regard, so what was your, what's your background? What's your history in education? Yeah. So um, it goes back really to my time in, in undergrad. Um, I completed my undergrad degree at Southwest Missouri State, now Missouri State in Springfield. And uh, while I was there, uh, somewhere around my second year, uh, I was one of those students that I had to get a job to make ends meet. For sure. You know, buy pizza on the weekends, a little beer here yes. and there, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I remember this vividly. I, I turned in two job applications. One was to a local car wash, and the other was to a boys and girls club there in Springfield. And I got offered both jobs. And I remember uh, talking to my mother about, you know, trying to decide what it is I was going to do. And she just, uh, you know, the way only mothers can, she just kind of cut through all the fat and got down to the the essence of the question and by saying, all right, wh- what are you going to do when it's raining or cold uh, and no one wants to get their car washed? Right. And, you know, you can't go report to work and you don't get the money for that. And it's like, ooh, I never thought about for that. For sure. So that's uh, led me to the Boys and Girls Club. My experience as the games room director of the Boys and Girls Club on the north side of of, uh, of Springfield, uh, it really led me to discovering my passion, and that is working with kids, working with youth, particularly uh, younger kids. And so I, I realized right away, even though I was all of 19, 20 years old, that um, these kids were looking at me and kind of patterning, them, patterning themselves after me. And so I felt that responsibility even at that, that young of an age. And so I had such a great time. I worked there for uh, uh, probably two and a half years total. Um, on and off. I would come home for the summers, of course. But um, I, I just discovered this passion, and I decided back then that I, I have to do something professionally around this. So I ended up changing my major. Uh, I've changed from uh, accounting to elementary education. Um, so really, my Boys and Girls Club experience led me to education. Um, so I was an elementary teacher, graduated, came back home, taught, um, student taught in Kansas City in the Raytown School District, was a December grad, um, got a job in January working in Raytown. It's a fourth grade teacher for uh, four and a half years. During that time, I went back to school, uh, got a master's degree from Central Missouri State University in administration, thinking that, you know, 20 years down the line after a successful teaching career, 
maybe one day I'd become a, an elementary principal. And the following year, um, I had a tremendous opportunity as a 26-year-old, wet-behind-the-ears uh, kid to become an elementary principal. That's energy right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody, you know, gave me that opportunity and believed in me. Wow. And so I was an elementary principal for five years uh, and then went back to school to earn the doctorate degree. And then that opened doors to higher-level administration in Raytown, then ultimately over to the Independent School District. I was deputy superintendent there for 10 years uh, before getting this wonderful opportunity to come in and lead the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Kansas City. Goodness. Well— Sorry, uh, that was a no, long— No, no, there's winding. so much there to dissect. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, it really showcases, uh, first of all, your skill set, obviously, and your passion for helping children— um, I can't help but listen to how you you jump started your career at the Boys and Girls Club, and specifically you're 20, 21, 22 years old, and these kids are looking up to you. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a long time ago uh, for both of us. Uh, <laughs> Speak for yourself, Paul. Dang. Why are you going to put me on blast? Uh, but um, did you – we never all have it figured out or have it all put together. But would you consider yourself back in the day at 20, 21, 22 a role model? I mean, did you have your stuff together back then to the point where you were confident that you could help people through it? No way. Um, <laughs> you know, I was a I was a typical college kid, okay. you know, and doing what college kids do. Um, I'm no angel. I'm no better than anybody else. Uh, I had a great time in college, sure, if sure. you know what I mean. Yes, I know exactly so, what you mean. <laughs> Actually, I feel like we should dissect that. No, I'm just joking. I won't go there. I won't go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, no, I didn't have my act together. But, um, again, walking into kind of that sacred space where these kids were that were depending on me for – uh, the activities for the day and to interact with them uh, in meaningful ways, um, I, I learned how to get my act together, particularly around them. So from the way you approach and speak and walk and talk and dress, kids are constantly watched, for watching sure. you. Yes, And I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes back then um, that maybe influenced them in the wrong way. But I, I think the important thing for me and the growth that I experienced was I was I was mindful of that and tried to do better. And as I, you know, um, practiced that, I got better as a human being. For sure. You know, what's amazing to me is uh, as an individual that's self-proclaimed introvert, every— Self-proclaimed? What yeah, do you mean by yeah, that? Because every <laughs> single job that you found yeah. is you having to— adapt your style mm-hmm. to be the energy source for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, a gaming director for kids, <laughs> right? And then ultimately it culminates as, you know, obviously here here we are today, but uh, superintendent and principal and, and teacher and all that. I mean, you are an individual that has to give energy absolutely, uh, and lead by example. And I'm sure that you had a lot of introverts, a lot mm-hmm. of extroverts, mm-hmm. and having to cater your style to meet them where they are obviously made you successful in your career. Mm -hmm. So thinking about um, your growth and and where you are today, so you mentioned your mother, but I didn't hear you say anything about your father. Was your father an active participant in your life, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't mind at all, uh, for a portion. Okay. So um, my parents were together in the typical kind of uh, two-parent household up until I was the age of six. Okay. So it was my mother, my father. I have an older sister. She's five years older than me. I yes. know you got a, a yep. brother that's five years that's older right. than you. And so it was the four of us for a long time. And and my my memories of that time were really pretty positive. For I mean, sure. I would I would be willing to say we lived the typical kind of middle class um kind of life. We were in a, you know, a little bungalow in midtown Kansas City and dad worked for um uh, Southwestern Bell. Okay. And so he traveled quite a bit. Mom was a, a homemaker and, you know, everything was great uh, until, it wasn't. you know, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. The, so the two of them, uh, they split for whatever reason. And then ultimately, um, years later, got a divorce. So there's a large chunk of, of my childhood and especially my adolescence where I didn't have that strong connection with, mm. with my father. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that, that that experience is necessarily a unique one, unfortunately. For sure. Uh, there are lots of, of kids out there and former kids that, that have that experience. Uh, but for me, I think, um, you know, I, I mentioned my mother quite a bit, obviously, because she was the, the constant in my life. But um, she presented that uh, model of strength that I, I guess you would typically get from a, a father or growing up with a father. She gave me that uh, through 
the way that she approached life and just how strong she was and a lot of the struggles that we went through as a family. That makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, not unlike the story of many folks, obviously, what you're mm-hmm. talking about, it, it resonates heavily with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, my father was present and uh, as a result of him not always being mentally present, you, know, you struggle with addiction, all that stuff. And again, mm-hmm. not unique. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard it a lot mm-hmm. in your space. Um, what I what I find interesting about your story and, and my story and others like us, there are individuals in this world that have leaders or the lack thereof in their life, and they justify their environment as a result of or an extension of uh, the existence or non-existence of said mm-hmm. leaders, right? Um, I got somebody very near and dear to my heart uh, related who believes that they are the way that they are because we shared a bloodline of somebody that didn't necessarily have that incentive and mm-hmm. that that same drive and all that stuff. But we're but we're the same. I mean, we have the same DNA, right? And so really it's mindset. That's right. So so my point is I feel as though you could look at a leader and all the fantastic traits that they have and look at the same human being and see all the traits that they don't have. That's right. And decide who you want to be and who you don't want to be, and and independently figuring out your own individual path as a result. Tell me about, uh, I got to believe that's the bulk of your existence in your current role, is trying to figure out how to connect those dots with these youngins. Uh, am I right? And what does that look like for you? Yeah, you are right. And 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 I get the kind of mindset of, you know, people that have um, kind of come up the hard way, for, for lack of a sure. better term. And, um, you know, there, there are folks out there that have faced many more challenges than I ever did uh, as a youngster. Um, but my personal philosophy around that was, um, as I reflect back to, I mean, some pretty rough times, I mean, you want to talk about from a financial, emotional, um, physical, whatever it is, sure. um, we, we had pretty serious challenges around that. Um, when I reflect back on that, uh, for me, for me, um, I, I wouldn't change anything about the way that, that um, I came up because it made me who it I am. You. It shaped me. It, it, it ingrained in me this desire to do more, to do better, but also to recognize that um, there are people that are in those same conditions that need help. For sure. Um, and so uh, those conditions made me. And so for me, in my current position, I'm very fortunate, very blessed to be able to um, kind of come up with programs and ideas and uh, identify individuals and groups to connect with the youth. The important thing in my role, I think, is always being transparent and honest about who I am and where I came from so that people can understand regardless of, you know, your upbringing, what you look like, what your background is, what your family history is, mistakes that you've made, um, you know, whatever it is, you can you can do and be great things. I'm a living example of that. You can do it if you have the right people around you and you have the right support. And like you said earlier, uh, you pattern yourself after those folks that um, influence you, uh, or you look at the mistakes that other people For make sure. and learn from that as well. So is that is that desire or at least the awareness of these leaders that we're referencing, is that something that is innate or is that something that um, is really driven by who you are? And let me give you a, a very specific okay. example. So uh, my one of my most memorable teachers slash principals was a gentleman by the name of uh, Doug Chisholm. Mm. Uh, Mr. Chisholm, always dressed to the nines. I mean, he's, he's like you, always. You and Bob Kendrick always, oh, no. uh, you know. Bob's the, got me outdone. I don't know. I, I, I put you up against each other. But, but Mr. Chisholm was always dressed to the nines, and um, he transferred in or got the job our sophomore slash junior year. And I just immediately connected. Like, he's that guy that made you laugh and made you think and would call you out on your BS mm-hmm, when you're messing up. Mm-hmm. And I just really ended up looking at him as a father figure. And there were times where I would come up in the middle of class. So we would be, um, we would be in between sessions, you know, the bell would hit. And Mr. Chisholm would be, you know, directing traffic and saying hello and all that good stuff. And I would sneak attack. Like, I would jump up behind him and I would grab him on his back like bear hug style. 
And, and Dr. Scott, he would literally flip me over his shoulder, completely suited up, throw me on the floor, and proceed to beat my rump in front of everybody. And uh, rolling around in the dirt and the dust and all that stuff, he didn't care what he was dressed like. He just set aside all that stuff to have a connection with the kid. Mm-hmm. Now, not every kid was brave enough to, uh, to open up their heart and extend that invitation to have Mr. Chisholm play such a significant role in their life. What is that driven by? Like, in the, with the kids that you work with or in your experience, um, do you find that, that folks are, that are hungry for that leadership will seek it out, or is it, is it, is it uncommon? Yeah, um, fantastic question. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I don't even good. know what the question was. It I'm was such a long I mean, way to get there. You sound a little traumatized for your principal <laughs> beating you up in school, but I, I guess that was back in the day where you that didn't was. get in trouble for yeah, that. Yeah, that's before I got uh, in the weight room. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, here's what I would say and how I would answer it. Um, I don't know that every kid will recognize that desire and that need to connect with a positive leader. Um, but what I do know that every kid needs is a quality relationship. And so it's that relationship that begins to kind of open up the door to whatever that kid needs. For sure. Uh, So if it's leadership, then they're going to find that through relationship. If it's strength, they're going to find that. If it's, you know, role model, go, the list goes on and on. So you, you just never know um, how you're going to impact a kid. So think about, again, my experience as a young youth youth professional at the Boys and Girls Club, um, there were kids there that I know, I have no doubt that I influenced, maybe hopefully for the good, but maybe even uh, some for the bad, um, that, you know, because of my interaction with them and my relationship with them, their lives changed. And you never know how that's going to happen. It could be with that kid that's pretty quiet and reserved, that's just more observational and not very interactive, and they're not going to come up to you and jump on your back and and horse play with you, but they're still watching, they're listening, and they're learning from you. So for me, it all boils down to relationships. So uh, when I think about my own journey, I can think of very specific folks that um, planted seeds with me even before I recognized uh, what they were saying and what they meant. Uh, but those seeds grew over time because they they believed in me and I had a good relationship with them. What a perfect segue. It's almost as though you're running the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, uh, you just hit right. on the you of fun, uh, which okay. is understanding right. others' perspectives. All right, all right. And uh, I, I obviously, probably not news to you, believe strongly that relationships are what, what makes a difference in our lives. I could literally point to a relationship for everything that has happened in my life, mm-hmm. I can point to someone mm-hmm. who helped facilitate it or been, who has been a catalyst to that. So um, you had mentioned that you have several of those in your life, individuals that have helped bestow a little wisdom or knowledge upon you or guidance, whatever it may be, whatever you needed in that moment. Yeah. Who are those individuals and what did they give you? Yeah. So I've talked about my mother, so I won't belabor that point. I think that's that's an easy one. Um, and I'm a mama's boy. There's no doubt about that. Um, so secondly, uh, I remember specifically in elementary school as a fourth grade kid and my fourth grade year, I was nine years old. It was a particularly rough age for me. There was a lot of change going on, uh, from the family structure, um, to, you know, I, I grew up, uh, kind of early in the Catholic school system and had to go to a public school that year, which was a different experience yes. and, uh, went to a, a pretty rough school in the city. And uh, it was just a a different atmosphere for me. Um, But um, I met a a true kind of mentor of mine and my fourth grade teacher. We're actually in a fourth and fifth grade split. They don't do that very often anymore. So it's in the class with uh, fourth and fifth graders. Her name was Miss Christian. I'll never forget her. Uh, she was a taskmaster. Came from that Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Energy. Um, she was a taskmaster. I mean, she was not one of the kind of warm, fuzzy elementary teachers that you might envision. I mean, she was strict. Uh, she was about business. She made sure that we learned. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I felt this connection with her. And I was one of those kids that I wasn't going to go up to her and give her a hug. Right. But I watched her. I listened and, you know, felt her essence. And that influenced me. And uh, the spring of that year was kind of a life-changing moment for me. Uh, I was a, a kid in the Kansas City Public Schools around the time that the Magnet Program just got off the ground. And uh, I was identified through uh, this test, the Iowa 
test of basic skills. I'm I don't familiar know if you know with about that. that. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Um, so the, the results of, of that test that I took in fourth grade came back that spring, and the uh, district has started this program, unbeknownst to me, called Gifted and Talented. And so because I filled in the right Look at you, you got that little smirk on your face right now. You're trying to play it off like you... No, no, no. I, I think I just got the right bubbles and... You know, made the right designs sure. on that old Scantron sheet that I qualified. And I remember, like it was yesterday, Miss um, Christian pulling me out of the line after recess. And I thought I was in trouble. I thought I did something wrong. And she told me, you know, the the good news about uh, this opportunity of, of going to a different program, which meant I would go to a different school. And she and she told me, um, there's, there's something special about you, young man. And I just... Lit up. You know, yeah. I mean, yes. I've never forgotten that. And that was one of those seeds that, you know, it made me feel good at the time, but I didn't know she was really planting that seed for, you know, to come fruition far in the future. For so sure. Miss Christian is, is number one in my book when it comes to uh, mentoring, especially as a young man. Um, professionally, I have a great mentor, um, and I'm just going to say his name. I think he's somebody that you should probably interact I'm with down. at some point. You tell his name me. name is uh, Dr. Henry Russell. Okay. Uh, he's somewhat of a legend in the education ranks uh, here in Kansas City, in the Kansas City metro. Sure. Uh, Henry Russell was the deputy superintendent at the time that I was a young teacher, and I remember um, his presence in our school, but across that district, was um, it was very real. He was an administrator that uh, worked at the central office, obviously, but spent quality time in buildings, getting to know staff and families and all of that. And so he was just one of those guys that you meet and you feel a connection with. Yes. And I was so comfortable um, uh, approaching him that I remember, this is my second year as a teacher, I asked him for some advice. I asked him, you know, as I was considering, you know, pursuing my master's degree, uh, I wanted some, you know, some words of wisdom and wanted his thoughts on what I should do. And he took the time out after school, uh, 4.30. We probably talked for two hours. And this is a guy that, you know, I know now was extremely busy. Right. Um, but for him to take time out and uh, invest in me and in my future uh, was a significant moment for me. He was, he was the person that led me towards administration as a career. He's also the person that gave me the opportunity as a 26-year-old to become a principal. And he, look and, at uh, us now. Man, man. And I'm telling you, um, so my relationship with him continued uh, for probably the next 15 or so more years and had the pleasure of working with him in different capacities as superintendent in Raytown uh, for a couple years. And then he was deputy in independence before I was. So I followed him there and was able to walk in his steps. And he's just somebody that I can pick up the phone and talk to uh, on a personal level. And I know he's going to give me sound advice. He's going to ask very good questions. Sure. And uh, he's, he's never going to steer me wrong. Here's the thing about Henry. You could probably talk to a thousand people uh, that will say that they have that kind of relationship with him. So he's that kind of guy really? that can. Yes. So it's not just a you know this small circle of people. He can make anyone uh, feel, feel that special. way. Yeah, yeah. So Dr. Henry Russell, uh, best best there is. I could sure. commit to you that uh, you make that introduction, <laughs> and I'll take it to the next step. I will, I will do it. But uh, do it. ultimately, what I love about that is the fact that. There's a lot of people out there that you can connect with, mm -hmm. but very few, even as busy as we are in society. You know, I hate it when people say, because I'll make a mistake, I'll, I'll fail to follow up. I'm not good in the details. Um, probably not probably not news to you because, you know, my, my, my stuff is, is people. Mm -hmm. And in the moment, like, you know, face to face, that's where I thrive. Mm -hmm. um, so recently hired my wife as a result of that. She's been kind of managing my schedule and all, all that right. stuff. And actually, truth be told, that's how we're here today. Is, okay. Uh, Molly, she, she, your Molly, she put the hammer down on me, and I connect her with my wife, and Melissa made it happen. So all here right. we are. Well, thank you, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point is um, the individuals that you, that you sit down with and you connect with through, through it all, like you're super busy. Everybody says that to me. Oh, it's okay. You, like, I know you're busy. We're all busy. Mm -hmm. uh, you make time for the things that are uh, a priority to you. That's right. And so when Henry sits down with you, and it doesn't matter what he's got going on, but he spends two hours with you. And another thing that you said that really resonated with me, um, I'm certain that people ask you for advice all the time. Mm -hmm. People ask me for advice all the time. 
And one of the things that I struggle with in giving advice is uh, I don't believe that anybody really values their opinion more than ourselves. Mm. And so people will ask you for advice. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to do something with it. It's also another thing to even truly want it Mm -hmm. because some people just say that they want it as an exercise. So what I find is typically I struggle giving advice or finding the time to give advice because I don't give advice. I ask a series of questions that gets people to self-discover what the answer that they want to reveal is. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I find that good leaders like Henry and yourself do. Tell me a little bit about... uh, so. In your space, we're obviously at your flagship uh, location, Boys and Girls Club of Kansas City. Tell me about some common, um, without being pointed from a parenting perspective, what are some things that you see or advice that you could give to parents uh, that might combat some of the issues that you see with kids coming through our facilities here? Yeah. um, I set you up. Yeah, no. No. Um, so number one, and I think this this goes back to my experience with my mentors and a skill set that I've developed over the years is you have to learn to be inquisitive. Mm-hmm. So ask questions that are not necessarily invasive, For- um, but making sure that you fully understand kind of what's going on with an individual. So from a parenting perspective, you've got kids in your household, and, and, and I'm talking to myself as much as I am anybody else that's listening. I don't have this perfected myself, sure. but it's having those genuine conversations with kids and asking them the right questions so you can understand where they are mentally, what, what's on their mind, what they're, what they're considering and what their struggles are. Um, two, I would uh, go back to relationship, not to sound like a, a broken record, but um, there is uh, power in having a good relationship with your kids. I'm, I think it's okay to be friendly with your kids, but I don't think you have to be your, your kid's best friend Sure, if you follow me there. Yes, 100%. Uh, you have a role as a parent, and there are some times where you can't be their best friend. You have to be a parent and make tough calls, tough decisions, and unpopular decisions, but you're always going to do that out of relationship and out of love. So asking your kids the right questions, having great relationships with them, and uh, just being just being inquisitive, letting them... Uh, uh, you know, kind of speak with you and being okay with, you know, those moments of awkward silence sure. and not filling the air with just words. Um, I, my son is a perfect example. Uh, he's probably um, more introverted than I am. I mean, he's really, he's just one of these serious cats. I mean, he's sure. just, you know, he's about, you know, his, his sports and about what he wants to do and, and you know, his his path in the future. And he's a kid that you can go on a, a car ride with, and he may say a couple words to you. Um, but if you ask him the right question and you give him time to really mull it over, it'll start coming out. And so I've had to learn with him that I don't have to fill the space with all of these words and, and putting words in his mouth. Mm. He has a, his own brain, his own thoughts. And he's able to communicate them when he's ready and when it makes sense for him, if he's given the right platform to do so. For sure. And I think you hit on something really, really important that relates strongly to the topic of of fundamentalism in Uh this podcast. Uh When you ask anybody questions about things that give them strength or they're passionate about or makes them smile, it's so much easier for them to open up and give you answers, right? And so, you know, I could ask you a bunch of questions about things that I think that you'd be interested in or my life and tell mm-hmm. you all the stuff that mm-hmm. I'm doing. But if it's not about, you know, your tournament coming up that you're super excited about and and ultimately I get to hear, yeah. you know, you trying to figure out how to transition from, uh, you know, a, a three or a power forward and four, and now now you're spending the bulk of your time in the paint as a center, and and you don't like it. That's and so right. now we have a really open and honest conversation. All it took was you being present and asking the right question. And that is kind of the segue into the next thing I want to talk to you about in terms of a a, a genuine presence in, in life, mm-hmm. specifically as parents. You touched on... The fact that it's okay to be friendly, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be their best friend. Mm-hmm. I have a six-year-old. We have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, very, very different from 17 and 13. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously this natural transition as our children get older, that like parents aren't cool and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but with that, do you find that um, a lot of parents 
including ourselves, sometimes we use that as an excuse not to be as active or present in their lives because we feel as though we're intruding or we're not we're not their level or they don't want to be around us. So as a result, we spend more time in our phone or we justify not asking the questions because we feel like they just don't want to talk to us. Is that a common practice that you hear about or see? Yes, absolutely. It's very common. Um, and here's the simple fact that as kids transition into those teen years, there are some times where you probably don't like them very much. Sure, and they probably don't sure. like you very much. So right. it, it makes that, that relationship and that quality time and that presence piece a little more difficult. But I would say that's when you need to double down on your efforts to um, create that time and create yes. that space and get them off the phone and put your phone down and, and have those genuine interactions. Um, yeah, I mean, there are mornings where, you know, my, my 13-year-old daughter will come down the stairs and it's like, okay, what am I going to get today? Yes. Is this going to be the bubbly or the for one sure. that's kind of down in the dumps or, you know, that kind of thing. That's a very significant time frame, too, for a female yes, adolescent absolutely, growing up. And, absolutely. Yes. And so it's just being cognizant of that. And also, one thing that I, I do, Paul, is I try to reflect back to what was my mindset when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And yeah, I, I think we all go through that phase of you think you've got things figured out. You don't think you need mom and dad telling you what to do. You think that, you know, you're ready for, you know, that next big thing, uh, not knowing that you've got so much to learn. But that's a that's a, uh, a growth for process. Sure. And so we have to remember that we didn't do everything perfectly um, as kids either. We made mistakes and uh, we learned and, and grew from those and and we need to allow our kids to make some mistakes. You know, there's this kind of phenomena that's developed over the, the last couple of decades of we don't want kids to fail, right? Right. And we give kids... Which is how we learned. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, you go to some competitions and, you know, they have eighth, ninth place trophies yep. and all of that because we don't want anyone to feel bad over failure. Well, failure is a it's a it's a necessary part of growth. Think about what we talked about with baseball. I mean, that's a game built around uh, not doing so well. For sure. And so um, we have to be comfortable in allowing our kids to uh, fail and learn from that. We shouldn't be doing their homework for them. Well, we shouldn't be um, you know cleaning up behind them. We shouldn't be. Um, you know, uh, not allowing them to compete at, at certain levels because we're worried about, you know, them not making the team or getting cut or whatever right. it might be. Those are all life lessons that will add up to make them a better adult in the future. So I don't buy into this, you know, putting kids in a bubble sure. and uh, hoping that their and- lives are, are perfect. They've got to get out there and they've got to skin their knee. They've got to fall off the bike. They've yes. got to, you know, uh, struggle with... Um, you know, breaking up with the girl or whatever sure. it might be. Yes. I mean, those are the things that make you who you I are. I 20 memories that come to mind just on that topic <laughs> oh, alone. Oh, 20 yeah. different girls? Uh-oh, Melissa. Oh, so, jeez. Oh, she, she, listen, it takes you, sometimes Sometimes you got to meet the ones that aren't it to find and truly appreciate I'm the ones that are. I'm not going there with you, Paul. All right, fair I'm enough. Not going I appreciate it. You. Let's change the subject then. So, uh, all right, full circle. Education, where you are today, uh, the Boys and Girls Club is doing some phenomenal things. And I want to take this opportunity as we start to wrap up our conversation together today to just showcase all the amazing things that you guys are doing. What are you doing in the space? You know, we talked about the youth of the year. Uh, we talked about, you know, you guys just being out and about. I got the opportunity to participate in a home run derby that I, uh, mind you, I took I took down. Uh, but uh, <laughs> side note, I never played baseball growing up. Okay. I am terrible, yeah. terrible. But, I mean, you put me up against some folks. Like Bob Kendrick was in there. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Abby Eden, who is a very amazing friend. Close friend of the club, for oh my, sure. Not only is she a close friend of the club, uh, she is an individual that I have never heard say no. If you ask her a question to do something for a greater cause, I've never heard her say no. She's as genuine as they come. That's exactly right. Yep. But ultimately, this is your moment to shine and your club's moment to shine. So talk to us about all the amazing things that the Boys and Girls Club is doing. Bottom line is uh, we're creating great futures for the kids that we serve. Uh, We do that by uh, strategically placing ourselves in locations to access kids that that need us the most. Uh, So the club that we're sitting in right now just happens to be located in one of Kansas City's most violent zip codes. It's served by the Kansas City East Patrol. If we're not here on the corner of 43rd and Cleveland, you have 300 kids ages 5 to 18 without any productive 
um, things to do after school or in the summer or when you have snow days like we had earlier this week. Yes. And so Why you gotta bring up old uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you know, we are we specifically target the kids that need us most. Uh, we're open to all kids, but our specialty is wrapping our arms around those kids that need those relationships, that need those programs, that need those experiences and exposure to what is possible so that they are on a greater trajectory for achievement in the future. So we do a ton. Uh, We've got eight locations across the Kansas City Metro. We serve roughly 1,200 kids a day through one of those eight locations. Uh, We'll we'll run, uh, you serve upwards of 7,000, 8,000 kids a year uh, through our various programs and community outreach. And so we have a tremendous footprint. Um, We have four pillars. Uh, The number one pillar is education and academics. So we're all about supporting kids, uh, young kids with homework help and, um, you know, helping them to be more literate um, and, and, um, you know, develop their numeracy skills. Um, As they get older, that means transitioning our high school kids to thinking about college and careers, uh, making college visits, getting them internships so that they can work in professional environments and find what it is that they are interested in and passionate about and developing a career around that. Um, So that uh, education and career college exploration uh, pillar for us is huge. Next pillar is healthy lifestyles. That's where all of our youth sports come in. So we run sports programming from basketball to swimming to track um, to flag football and our biggest program is RBI, Reviving Baseball in the Inner that's City. That's what I got the yeah. opportunity to participate Yeah, in. that's what it was. Yes, sir. And so we'll have over 1,000 kids go through that program uh, every spring and summer. And uh, uh, some of our kids are, um, you know, uh, they, they get to the next level. Yes, sir. I mean, every year we'll send, you know, 15, 20 kids up to the next level to play baseball at the various levels there. So an opportunity they wouldn't get otherwise. So that's Healthy Lifestyles. Um, and then there's a, a whole public speaking uh, and leadership pillar. For sure. Um, so Do this you is, run that one? Yeah, I well, feel like you should. <laughs> well, I've learned some, some <laughs> techniques and some uh, some things around public speaking, but you would be so impressed. And you saw it with Youth of the yes, Year. Yes, sir. Uh, we've got youth that work with local Toastmasters yes, groups to um, hone the craft of public speaking. And I'm so impressed with uh, the kids that go through that process and their ability to stand and deliver. They can deliver a written speech, but they can also speak from, you know, from the heart and off the cuff. Yes, sir. And um, I couldn't have done that as a teenager. There's just no way. Sure. And so these kids, that's that, those are those soft skills that they don't get a chance necessarily to practice uh, to perfection in the school setting. Yes, so sir. they get that opportunity. And I wish I had clubs. that. Yeah. And I, when I was a part of that, uh, I was I got teary eyed yeah. because again I didn't have that opportunity growing up and seeing how articulate some of these kids were yeah. and swallowing their fear that I hear adults grown adults tell me that oh, they could never I don't do like right being up exactly in front of people yeah and they smashed it and they mm-hmm. love it and unfortunately you know Molly reached out this year uh, to potentially explore that for yeah. me and and I can't make it but. Hey. I Plenty want to come in the future. for sure. So that leads us to the fourth pillar. Yeah, fourth pillar technology. Um, actually, you're, we're sitting in a space that's a result of our focus on technology. So uh, we have uh, maker spaces in uh, four of our, our eight clubs. Uh, these are STEM labs, essentially, uh, that allow kids to get hands-on with science, tech, engineering, and math. Uh, related technologies. And so we have, uh, we're sitting in a recording studio. There's a full-fledged recording studio in this club where kids can come in and not only uh, learn the the performing arts side. So, you know, there are a ton of wannabe Jay-Zs and Beyonce's out there. But we want to teach them the career behind that. So what does it mean to be a producer? How do you run a board? How do you, um, you know, produce music? And what are the career fields that are connected with that? How do you create a podcast? How do you record? How do you um, get it, you know, uploaded into the right platform and all of those things? So our kids get to do that right here, right, right, right in, in our very presence. And so uh, we've got 3D printers, we've got robotic arms, we've got circuitry that kids work with, we've got fashion design stations, all of that included in our makerspace. So all of that is connected with our kind of focus in technology. So overall, we try to use those pillars to wrap around programming. Those pillars are essentially hooks to get kids through the doors. And then 
we kind of sneak attack them. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. Before they even know it, um, we're we're investing in them and helping them to become better human beings. I love it. That's what we do. As uh, Jay Z said, "I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man." <laughs> so, uh, self serving. As we uh, bring this thing to a close, uh, I can't help but see you and how articulate you are and and intelligent and uh, thoughtful and and obviously understand that relationships make the world go round. I can't help but see you as an individual that probably a lot of people come to you for advice or help or guidance or whatever it may be. How do you manage uh, that personally yourself Mm -hmm. in uh, helping all that need help while not obviously sacrificing your family or your own mental um, fortitude? I'll go back to a leadership lesson I learned from uh, my mentor, Henry Russell, that I referenced earlier. Uh, If you were to walk in my office today, Paul, you would see um, this kind of shadow box, and it's a gift from Henry, and it has a stethoscope in it. And a lot of people will assume, you know, Dr. Scott, you know, some some connection there. By the way, my doctorate is not uh, a doctorate of medicine. (laughs) Uh, If you were to, you know, have some health issue right now, I'd run out of here and call 911. You don't want me working on you. It's that, uh, actually, you scored really, really highly on that Scantron in the fifth grade, and ultimately, (laughs) that's that's what they hooked you up with. That's what it was. Yeah, I was supposed to be a medical doctor. Um, But really, uh, Henry is really into symbols, and so that stethoscope is symbolic of a leadership lesson. And uh, there's a little card that he gave me. It was a note that he gave me with the gift um, that essentially, you know, kind of just talks about uh, a number of things. But the essence of it is to listen with your heart. Mm. So that's what the stethoscope is all about. And so what I try to do uh, when people come to me for advice or they have an issue or a concern is I try to set everything aside and listen with my heart and listen beyond maybe even what they are communicating verbally. Uh, and sometimes that might be an angry parent or a staff member that might be spewing things that are hard to hear. So it's like, how do you you know, wade your way through all of that junk to get down to the core essence of what's going on there, what the question is or what the concern is? And that's what I found is uh, the best way to support folks that need um, need advice, need mentorship, that kind of thing. Is listen with your heart. Don't come into it with any preconceived notions. Which is tough. Uh, it is tough. It is tough. And so just try to get down to the essence of what's going on with them and then respond to that, uh, asking the right questions, like I said before. Henry Russell is a master at that. That's the podcast title right there, Listen hey, With Your Heart. listen with your heart. All See right. how that is? Uh, I think so, I am running this podcast. Yes, you are. All right, all right. You are. Uh, well, you teach people already how to do it. So ultimately, uh, I think the world of you, Dr. Scott. Thank uh, you, hopefully, Paul. I convey that to you. You were fresh. Thank you. You were fresh. You just started when I first That's had right. the opportunity to meet you just a couple of months. In. So, right. um, I'm actually glad that we took some time in between to uh, for you to grow, but obviously for me to grow as well, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I wasn't as well-versed in interviewing folks back then, <laughs> and I don't know that I knew what questions to ask. Yeah. So, ultimately, if somebody wants to uh, get additional information on the Boys and Girls Club, where can they go? What yeah. can they do? Best place is to uh, go to our website. Uh, it's very, very simple helpkckids.org. Okay. Uh, that's what we do every day. So help ki- helpkckids.org. Go to the website that has all the information there. Um, and it's got our phone number, hours of operation, everything there, opportunities to volunteer, opportunities to donate. We are a nonprofit organization. And so the large majority of our budget comes from the support of individuals and corporations and foundations uh, that believe in investing in our organization because they see the impact uh, that we have on the future. So uh, we need um, all of the the great support that that we can muster uh, to do the work that we do year after year. Well, you got to support in uh, me and uh, hopefully our listeners will listen to their heart and go to helpkckids.org and potentially throw a donation your way. So as always, we greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. We appreciate Dr. Scott's presence. Obviously, he has made a career showing a genuine interest in others and helping them through the times when they need it most. So today, we challenge you to go, move forward, have some fun in your life, but potentially make it a point to create some fun in the lives of others. Create some fundamentalism because that's where relationships truly take place. Thank you, as always, for your support. We'll catch you on the flip side. And as always, deuces! Deuces!